Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Get your Bibles out if you would. You know where we're going if you're following along. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, that's where we will be uh, the whole evening. How many of you guys, just out of curiosity, how many of you guys read ahead and you read chapter 8? Anybody read chapter 8? Several of you guys may be wondering uh, where we're going with this tonight. Uh, uh, how many of you guys, we, we talk about mission trips. How many of you guys have actually been on a mission trip before, like out of the country mission trip? When I was a teenager, I went on a mission trip out of the country, went to Mexico, and just honestly, it was not a very well put together trip. Uh, and there was this spot that we went in Mexico with our group of teenagers that uh, I didn't put together the trip, but uh, it was a training camp before we actually went out and did whatever we were going to do. And so as we were getting set up for all of this, I noticed that there was a table set up. And on the table, there was a big old chunk of some sort of meat. And on this table that was this messy, big chunk of meat, there were flies just buzzing around all over this meat. And I thought, man, is that, is that okay to eat? I don't, I don't know if that's okay to eat or not. A half an hour later, we were eating it. And the answer is no, it was not okay to eat. I've never spent so much time near a porta potty toilet hole in the ground uh, in my life. And it was not okay to eat. How many of you guys would just admit that sometimes in the back of your refrigerator, somewhere lost in a Tupperware container, there is something, and you just own it, that you would open up, and you're like, is this okay? I mean, is this still good? And how many of you guys have ever smelled it? Like, you know it looks fuzzy, but you're still smelling it. How many of you guys, after you smelled it, you actually went ahead and took a little bite just to sample it? Just own it. Yeah, right there. Yeah, we, we all have, okay? Because smelling just may not be enough, and so you've got to taste it just to see, is that okay? Uh, I, I just put it this way, that, that church potlucks are one of the worst places, okay? Not this church, okay? Not this church, but, but just in general, just hypothetically, church potlucks. Um, when I was a, a youth pastor, I was at a large church and there were several thousand people at the church. And I was in charge one year of actually putting on this big, huge picnic. And so we had thousands of people. We set up tents. It was hot like it is today. And everybody brings some sort of dish, everybody. And some sort of, you know, mystery dish, uh, old sister, Sally Sue, whatever, brought her mystery casserole dish. And it's sitting out in the heat for for hours and flies are buzzing around. How many of you guys would just admit that you're like me and you go straight for the KFC bucket, right? How many of you guys just have done that? Because we know that's healthy meat, right? Right? We know that's healthy. It's better than the other. Well, today we're going to be asking that question that some people were asking Paul. And, and that's the question, is this okay to eat? And that's what the chapter is actually all about. And if you read ahead, you know that. You're like, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Is this okay to eat? So I'm going to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 13. It's only 13 verses, but we're going to look at the whole thing together. And then we're going to see how does this apply to our life today? How does this question about is this okay to eat apply to us today? Here we go. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. 
Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, he's talking to believers, for us as believers, there's one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So, we have this situation where some people were writing Paul, Pastor Paul, this letter. And they had come, if, if you've been following along, the, the church that Paul planted was in the city of Corinth. Now, in the city of Corinth, there was all kinds of idol temples and all sorts of things going on. And so some people were saying, is it okay to eat meat that was offered in an idol's temple? Is that okay? I mean, we're believers now. We don't serve that. Are we somehow ingesting and being a part of this evil activity? And now that we're believers, we don't want to be a part of this evil activity and to put it into our lives. So, so what do we do? And so Paul was asking, or Paul was asked this question rather, is it okay to eat meat that's offered to idol? And, and Paul said, listen, if it's going to cause somebody to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Now, this is probably one of the saddest scriptures in all of the Bible. I will never eat meat again. How many of you guys love to eat meat? Some of you guys are vegetarians. I just offended you. That's all right. But Paul is, is, at, is asked this question. What do we do with this? So to understand this, here's what we've got to understand. We've got to zoom out and we've got to understand the context of what Paul was talking about and dealing with in this culture. As I said, there are many different temples. There was the temple of Aphrodite where uh, up on this hill, up on this big mountain, about 1,800 uh, feet or meters, whatever it was, high on the edge of town, there was the temple of Aphrodite where they would go in and they would worship. And as part of their worship, they had a thousand female prostitutes. And part of your worship was to participate with these female prostitutes. But they had other temples as well. And in ancient societies, ancient cultures, pretty much any time you would go to a temple, you would bring some sort of sacrifice. You would bring an animal, you would sacrifice the animal, and basically you'd have a barbecue right there at the temple. Now, if you brought a, a large animal, you, you're, you'd bring your family there to the sacrifice, and what you would do is you would all eat together, and you might even bring some friends, because if you have a, an animal that's being sacrificed, there's no way, I mean, unless you're sub, some superhuman, to be able to eat a whole cow or something in one sitting, uh, you would have some left over. And so you would give that to the priest, and the priest, even after he, he, he ate, there would be some left over. And so inevitably, there were so many sacrifices being offered, so much meat at the temple, that they would end up selling the meat in the market. 
the marketplace that was leftover meat. And so basically in ancient times, and especially in the city of Corinth, which was about a million people, really, everyone was participating in this. And so almost anytime you would go to a temple or, or go to a marketplace rather to buy meat, most likely somewhere along the way, at some point in the process, it had been offered in a temple as a sacrifice. Is everybody following me tonight? So, so somehow these Christians, these new believers are saying, listen, I came out of idol worship and I know what's going on in those temples. And I know what's going on and it's not godly. And so is it okay when I go to Price Chopper <laughs> to go and buy meat and, and I know that it's been in an idol's temple? And if I participate in consuming this meat, will I somehow be participating in what's happened to it along the way? And so these believers were really struggling with this. And Paul said, yes, it's true. We know that these are false gods. They're not real. And some of you guys know that, and some of you guys don't. So what do we do with this issue? Because some people out of conscience just won't eat it. And, and what do we do with that? So some saying it's okay, some saying it's not. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul will encourage people, hey, if you're going out to eat with somebody, don't ask where the meat came from. Just, just eat it for the sake of conscience, and then that way you won't have to worry about whether this came from an idol or not. Now, as I was thinking about that today, I was th- or this week, I'm thinking, uh, what other context in our lives would that even be applicable where we're like, well, we don't want to know where the meat came from. I thought about Chinese uh, restaurants. I, I thought about different things. Yeah, uh, I couldn't th- think of a lot because there's not a lot of those things in our society today. Like I said, we don't go to Price Chopper and think, I wonder if this has been sacrificed to an idol. Maybe I should not buy this particular steak. And we don't wrestle with those things today. So what would it look like in our day? You say, well, I'm not dealing with that. So, you know, we might as well go home because 1 Corinthians 8 doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, listen, the Bible's extremely relevant. And so I want to bring up some things that may be issues similar for us as believers today. And if maybe you are newer to the faith, or you're newer to Christianity, you're following Jesus, you will be surprised maybe at some of the little controversies that we have as believers as to try to answer these questions like, is this okay for us? So let me bring up one. And let me just say, I grew up in a conservative Christian household. How many of you guys grew up real conservative? Anybody? All right. A lot of people here tonight. How many of you guys grew up, you, you weren't even in a Christian household at all, maybe? All right. Some people back there. How many of you guys, you grew up in a Christian household, but pretty much anything was, anything goes. Anybody? All right. So for me, I grew up, I grew up real conservative in a conservative household. And so for us, there were some questions like this. Like, let me bring up this one that may hit a button for you. Halloween. For us, growing up in a conservative household, some people could go uh, out and dress up and go get candy on Halloween. But for my parents and for my family, when the way we grew up, it was a very similar type question that they were wrestling with. How can we participate in something that that really is kind, of le- is kind of labeled the devil's kind of day and people go up and they dress up with certain things and it's all about fear and it's all, how can we as believers participate? Is that okay? And so for my parents, they said, no, that, that's not okay. And yet I would know some people that would be like, what are you talking about? It's not real. How many of you guys can see some of the similarities between what Paul was wrestling with 
and what we might wrestle with on similar topics today. And, and, and so today we still have some of that debate. <coughs> Excuse me. We still have some of that debate. And so some of you guys may have no problem when Halloween rolls around saying, hey, I will dress up my kids and go send them out. And, and, and others of you, it may be an issue for you. And you may say, well, how can I participate when this is really part of this over here? So let me tell you how it was for us. We couldn't participate in Halloween, but we did one year. We got to participate in a hallelujah party. How many of you guys remember hallelujah parties? If you, yeah, we, so we could participate in a hallelujah party, which was basically Halloween at a church where you get all the candy and everything. And I remember that we couldn't dress up like anything. I've got four brothers, so there's five of us. So we got these white t-shirts and we, my parents had us put letters on each one of our, so there's five of us and we, the only way we could dress up is if we spelled out the name Jesus together. So we stood up and we were spelling out Jesus. Am I right? Uh, you, you guys, Jeremy didn't remember this today, but we did. So we, I, I remember this picture of us spelling out Jesus. That's the only way we could go. And so for us, it was a matter of, uh, of uh, my parents, it was a matter of their conscience. And, and they, were, they were struggling with that or wrestling with that, and they felt like this was wrong for us, and this was maybe right for some other people. Now, let me hit on another one. How about the Easter bunny? Now, some of you guys, if you're on the outside looking in, you're like, really? We're fighting over this type of stuff? But how many of you guys are on the inside looking out, and it really has been a deal, hasn't it? Why would that be a big deal for some people? Well, because for some people... Uh, taking the day when we talk about Jesus rising from the dead and coming out of the grave and somehow mixing in this bunny that lays eggs is somehow just doesn't seem appropriate, you know? And so some people can't participate with that. I know for us, again, growing up in our house, we could not participate in Easter egg hunts and all that type of stuff. Why? Because we were trying to keep the focus all on Eastern, what, what, you know, all about Jesus and the resurrection. I remember sometimes at my grandma's house, it would be Easter at my grandma's house and all the other cousins would go out and they'd be a part of an Easter egg hunt. And we were sitting inside because we could not participate in the Easter egg hunt. Now, some of you guys are like, that's crazy. Listen, there are some things, it, these are very similar issues to what the church was wrestling with back in that day. Is this okay or is this not okay. And so uh, I couldn't even go on an Easter egg hunt. And Becca was getting like, uh, she grew up and she was getting Easter dresses and big old Easter baskets. And I'm thinking, you know, not that I wanted the dresses, but the basket full of chocolate would have been nice. <clears throat> and so we just, we, we have these issues and we have these differences. Let me bring up a couple more. Uh, how about uh, what kind of movies are okay? Now, if you've been in the Christian world long enough, you know that this can be a hot button issue as well. Like, what movies are okay? How, how much is okay for a believer? And, and for me, let me just give you one of my uh, things, my issues, is for me, ever since I was a teenager and then when I was a youth pastor for a season, I just made some sort of commitment. It was a personal conviction of mine that I wasn't going to watch a rated R movie. And that just kind of stuck with me uh, throughout my life. And that was just kind of a personal conviction for me. And yet, you know, other people have different convictions about that. And so who's right and who's wrong? How do we settle these issues where we have a disagreement and where we're trying to wrestle with this? Uh, my kids, it was funny, my kids this past week, not knowing what we're talking about. Uh, have you guys remember the, the Schoolhouse Rock 
cartoon things. How many of you guys remember those? So my wife recently introduced this to my eight-year-old daughter. I have no idea why. Uh, because now my daughter has learned these songs and she's singing them over and over and over again nonstop. And it's always playing all the time. And as we were sitting there uh, discussing this, they had one of the Schoolhouse Rock things on there, and one of them's about numbers, and, and they, they do a different show on each number and stuff. And, and so my kids, I didn't remember this at all. My kids said, we could never watch number three on Schoolhouse Rock. And I was like, really? Why, why didn't we let you watch number three? Because three is a magic number. And we would, like, we, were, we wouldn't even want the word magic back, you know, just, just like, you know, 10 years ago. And so I was like, wow, I didn't realize where we had drawn some internal lines. And every single person here, if you're trying to raise kids or whatever, you've, you've had to wrestle with where are the lines and where aren't the lines and how far is too far on different issues. Uh, let, me, let me bring up some more. How about, uh, how about how far is too far before you get married physically with someone else? You see, everybody's going to have different lives. There's been whole books written. A friend of mine who's now a pastor, they didn't, they didn't even believe it was okay to kiss one another at all, no contact, until the actual wedding ceremony was done. I'm like, wow, dude, that is like some self-control right there. That's, I admire that. But yet you'll have some other people that would be in different places on that one. So there's all these things. How about music? See, when I was growing up, I could not listen to what's called secular music, which was basically, it's just non-Christian music. And some people would say, you're crazy, what? what's the deal? And other people would be like, no, we're not going to taint our kids. And so, how many of you guys remember the Christian artist Carmen? Anybody? Carmen? All right, I'm just trying to take you back. Carmen, let me see the hands again. A pretty good portion of people here. So, let me tell you how crazy my parents were. Uh, my mom, one time, no joke, my mom threw away all of our Carmen tapes because it was too rocky and too secular. Now, if you know anything about Carmen, you're like, you're laughing right now because it's, it's not that big of a deal. But yet, for some people, that was a line. Now, she later repented of it and she gave them back. Uh, but it was a real deal. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show you that there are issues that we as believers wrestle with, and some of them may seem silly to you, just like some of them may have seemed silly to some of those in the church in Corinth. And Paul said to them, he said, listen, you, you got a bunch of knowledge, don't you? You may be right about some issues, but what's going on is you're being puffed up about this. And you're looking at these other people who have a different belief about those issues, and you're all puffed up about it. But he says, knowledge puffs up, but where's the love that builds up? Don't we need to be a little bit more than just what we know? And even if we technically are right about something, or maybe even it's not that big of a deal, where is the love that builds up? So let me get into the weeds a little bit, okay? Let me get into a little bit stronger issue. For, for believers today, what about alcohol? <clears throat> Aren't you glad you came tonight? You see, there's going to be some people in this room right now who you're like, what do you mean? That, that's even an issue? Like, why would a Christian even have an issue? And there's others of you in tonight that would be like, just the fact that he mentioned that, I'm never coming back to this church again. And then there's people all in between. What's okay and what's not on the issue 
of things like that that are a little more controversial. Now we've got things like marijuana that are, you know, at one point we could, we could say as believers, that, that question's easy because, you know, the Bible says to obey the laws of the land. It's not even legal, but now it's starting to become legal. And so we still have to wrestle with these areas where it's like, what does the Bible say about these particular things and what do we do about that? And so, so what do we do about these issues that are kind of controversial? What do we do? <clears throat> well, we could go back to the law. And we could try to make a bunch of rules. We could try to curtail our behavior because maybe there's a Pharisee-type person that's keeping a checklist of their convictions and want to make sure that everybody else follows their convictions. We could go the other route and say, you know what, it really doesn't matter because I'm free in Christ. No one should tell me what to do except for Jesus anyway, so I don't even care what they think about that. What do we do? What do we wrestle with? Well, Paul wouldn't let the Corinthian believers be on any side of that. He, he wouldn't let him take any side of that. And we're not going to do that tonight. I, I want to address some things tonight for you to help us try to decide. What do we do? I'm, I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about you tonight. What do you, how do you decide on these areas that it seems kind of like there's a controversy onto, you know, some people say this, some people say that. I think I know what I believe. How do you decide what freedoms or what rights or whatever are good for you? We're going to do that by looking at three different words that appear prominently in chapter 8. The three different words are, first of all, there's this word called knowledge or knowing. Or it appears in there about ten times, knowledge. Second word is this word conscience, which appears three times. And the third word is the word, uh, it's not really just one word, but it's referring to brothers or the weaker brothers. And so let's wrestle with this tonight. Number one, here's a question we need to ask ourselves on how to decide what's right. Number one, that word knowledge. What is truth? I can say it more specifically. What does the Bible actually say about these issues? Because we believe in that there are absolutes. How many of you guys believe that there are absolutes? Things that, and we've talked about them the last several weeks. In fact, the last several weeks, Paul said some things. He's like, listen, guys, there are some things that are sin, that are always going to be sin. It doesn't matter what time, what culture, what people, what situation. There are going to be sin in every time, every circumstance. There are absolutes. Sexual immorality, that's always a sin. It doesn't matter the culture. It doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the time. We could say uh, different issues like, like murder. Is, how many of you guys believe? Murder is always wrong. It doesn't matter who, who you are, what the circumstance, what the time. It doesn't adjust with culture. Now murder is okay. You know, it doesn't do that. And so because there are absolutes, there are some non-negotiables in Scripture uh, that just don't change. Rape, all those types of things, we, they're settled, they're established, I could go on and on and on. The Bible gives us all these examples of absolutes that are boundaries that never change. If it's in there clearly, written in the Bible, which we've looked at the last several weeks, it's not even a question. We don't even make an issue. We don't even say, well, is it, you know, can I murder someone? Lord, let me just go into my prayer closet about that one. No, we don't do that because it's clearly established in Scripture. And so let's look at those. Like, what is clearly established in Scripture? If it's already in there clearly black and white, we don't have to wrestle with it. We already know what the answer is. But there are those issues that aren't. And let me just give you one, that one I already addressed. How about, let's just get into it. How about alcohol? 
What does the Bible say about that? Some people would say that, listen, the Bible talks about alcohol being wrong. I mean, it talks over and over again about wine being a mocker. It talks about all the bad things that happen with alcohol, and you could just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then other people would say, uh, yeah, but here's the other side. Uh, Jesus made it <laughs> and drank it. So what do you do with that? And then somebody would come over here and say, well, yeah, but the, the alcohol back in that day was not fermented the same way that it is today. It doesn't have the same strength. And so people would, you know, it's not the same thing. So if Jesus drank, it was more like grape juice anyway. And then somebody else would come over here and say, uh, yeah, then how did Noah get drunk if it wasn't the same? Or how did later on in 1 Corinthians... Uh, later on, 1 Corinthians chapter what, 11, we'll see again that people were actually in this church that he's talking to getting drunk at communion. Evidently, it was strong enough to get the job done. I mean, it, was, it wasn't grape juice, people. And so that's one of the reasons why we don't uh, have real wine here at church is because afterwards, when church is all done, I'll see a bunch of kids finishing up the grape juice like shot glasses. So that would be a liability. So, that's not the only reason. <clears throat> and so what I want you to get tonight is this. There are some issues where you could look and you, I could make a case biblically for or against on some issues. And here's what I want you to get, get tonight. There are good, godly, and wise people on both sides of these controversial gray issues in Scripture who would disagree. Let me say that again. There are good, godly, and wise people on both sides of all of these controversial issues that I've listed tonight who would disagree. So is the Bible wrong? Is the Bible unclear? Is the Bible somehow at odds with one another? No, it's not. But I'm going to say something tonight that is going to maybe challenge your thinking, and it may make me sound like a heretic initially, until you hear me out. But this is going to help somebody tonight. And here's a statement I want you to get. The Bible doesn't have all the answers. Now, somebody's going to take a picture of this and put this on Facebook. I know, you know, it's, the Bible doesn't have all the answers. You say, oh, Yes, it does. It has all the answers. No, the Bible is, we can build our life upon the Bible. The Bible is infallible. Yes, I'm not taking away from any of that. But I promise you, the Bible doesn't have all the answers. The Bible isn't black and white on every single issue. There's some gray issues in Scripture. And if you don't believe that, then you haven't read the Bible very much. Because there are some issues that it looks kind of gray. Or we wouldn't have disagreements. <laughs> There's some issues that we've got to work out. Uh, so so it's, not, it's not like black and white, but it's not sloppy grace over here either. It, what do we do with the muddy middle? What do we do with those issues that it's like, well, these people say this and this people say this. What do we do with that? How do we handle the gray areas? You, you see, when I was a, a young man, I had some pretty tight personal convictions on things. And I still do. But I never thought as a young man that I'd be able to open up my hand a little bit to actually see what Scripture said instead of just hold on to the way I wanted to think about it. And as I began to get older, I started to decide, I'm not going to just hold on to what I want or what I've been told. I want to go back to Scripture, and I want to really wrestle with it, even if it makes me uncomfortable. 
And tonight, what I, I want to do is I want us to wrestle with what, what Scripture actually is. Not your tradition, not your bent on it, not what you want it to say, but what actually does it say? And, and, and kind of open your hand to that and just ask that question. It doesn't mean I don't have convictions. It just means that I used to think I was right about everything. I was what Paul referred to in the first few scriptures where he says, yeah, you got a lot of knowledge, but here's what's happening with your knowledge. It's puffing you up. I had a lot of knowledge in my mind, but I didn't have a lot of love that built up. I, I didn't. And so I thought I had it all figured out. Now, you may be sitting here today and think you got it all figured out. Well, maybe open a hand a little bit. The Bible doesn't have all the answers. Let me put it a different way, a slightly different way. The Bible doesn't have a right answer for every issue. The Bible doesn't tell me how long is okay for me to look at my phone every day. The Bible doesn't have an answer for that. The Bible doesn't tell me, the Bible doesn't tell you specifically how far is too far physically before you get married. Now, if you found that scripture, you can bring it up to me afterwards. But I'm telling you, the Bible does not answer every specific question you will have in life. Are there principles? Yes. But the Bible does not go through and answer every 21st century question that's ever been asked. So in that sense, the Bible doesn't have an answer for every question you have. So how do we, why is that? Why would God, and let, let me tell you why God did this. And I believe this is strategic and genius, the way God set this up. The Bible doesn't have a right answer for every question you have. Why is that? That's so we would learn to depend on the active presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you want a rule book, and here's what, here's what Pharisees do. And you may find yourself, you're a Pharisee here tonight. Here's what Pharisees do. They want a rule for every problem. They want a policy for every issue. And here's what it turns into. You can live on this side of the new covenant, and here's what happens. Your flesh finds it easier to live under the rules of the law of the Old Testament rather than under the freedom of grace in the New Testament. Our flesh gets that. We understand how to check boxes, but that is not how God designed the Spirit-led life. We are not to check boxes of the Spirit. We are to be led by the Spirit. That's an active, real-time, learning how to hear the voice of God. And if you want to close yourself up and live a religious, pharisaical life and just have it all formulaic, listen, God doesn't give you a formula for every situation. God a lot of times gives patterns, but he doesn't, all, he doesn't give formulas for every single... He doesn't give you an equation to solve every problem. Why? He wants you to hear his voice in real time. Yes, there are absolutes. Yes, there are things in Scripture that it says absolutely this is a sin all the time. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. This is right. But then he's going to say, but here's some things that maybe you need to hear my voice on. And, and, and it may be challenging for us. And that leads us to the next word, which is conscience. Why would Paul say it's okay for some people to listen to their conscience? Now, conscience, we need to ask ourselves that question. What does my conscience tell me about this issue? Not, not your neighbors, not your tradition. 
What does my conscience tell me? What does that mean? Well, Paul looks at conscience as kind of like a rudder in life. I believe you can have a conscience before you're saved because there are people who have who, who know right and wrong before they're saved. It's a conscience that's kind of built in. It's like a little meter that's kind of built in us. And when we get saved, the Holy Spirit can breathe through that conscience and give us more directions. Now, here's the thing, though. Even though you're saved, your conscience, can that little compass, that little rudder can actually break from time to time whenever you cut off the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so you, can, you may have a seared conscience or a hard heart or a hard conscience that, that you may feel like you're doing right simply because you've shut off the flow of the Holy Spirit. But Paul sees it as extremely important. Keeping a conscience that's clear before God is extremely important. How many of you guys have ever been walking with God and realized that your conscience wasn't clear? It wasn't a guilt thing. It was simply that you knew that there, it wasn't a sin issue that would keep you away from God's presence because Jesus already took care of that. But your conscience, your heart, First John talks about our heart condemning us. And when our heart condemns us, then we lose that fellowship with God. We don't lose relationship, but it may break something temporarily, not on God's side, but because of our conscience. We don't feel worthy, I guess you could say, to, to come before him. It's simply our conscience has got off track somewhere. And, and it's like an internal governor in an engine that kind of keeps you going at the right pace. Uh, when we were younger, teenagers... Ben and I, we, uh, we had these go-kart things. It was really like dune buggy things. And they had these big old tires on it. And they would go like, they would only go like, I don't know, 40 or 50 miles an hour or something like that. I say only. Um, because we wanted them to go faster. And so one day, my, my dad had just bought this truck or something like that. And it was freshly painted. He had a brand new paint job on this, this box truck thing. He had it parked out back. And so we were with a, a friend of ours. And we were trying to, I forget what we were doing. I think we were just trying to make it go faster. Like trying to regulate the governor on it or something. Trying to fix something. And, and we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. But we just started messing with it. And so uh, as we're messing with it, of course, it's... it's uh, infamously strategically placed in the direction that is facing my dad's brand new painted box. I mean, you guys know where this story's going. Um, so we're messing with this thing and, and start this thing up. Instantly, it takes off by itself, rams right into the truck, then it backs away and, and just insult to injury, just hits it again. You know, it's just right there. My dad was not very happy, uh, but that's what it's like when our internal governor is shut off. When our conscience isn't working right, it's, it's dangerous. It can damage things. It can hurt things. It can cause problems in our life. And, and when it's working, it's a great thing. When it's broken, it's not so much. Here's the funny thing about conscience, though, that is going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to be different, maybe, for each person in this room. It, it may be different for each person in this room. Not on the absolutes, but on the issues of opinion, on the gray areas, on some unsettled areas in Scripture, on some of those modern-day questions that maybe the Bible doesn't specifically address, uh, on the areas where the Bible is silent that we want to fill in the gaps. <laughs> it may be different for every person here. They're a matter of personal convictions and conscience. And they may change around certain factors. Let me say it even stronger. There may be some things that are sin for you that are not sin for me. 
The Bible says in James that to him who knows to do what is good and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, and we even see that represented right here in First. If you don't believe me, just go back and read 1 Corinthians 8. And Paul is saying, don't try to get them to change because if they did, they would be violating their conscience. And for them, it would be a sin issue if they violated their conscience. Listen, there are people in this room right now that you're all over the board on all these different issues. And for you, it may be a sin for you to violate your conscience on something. Where for me, if, if I've been listening to the Holy Spirit and, and it's not a conscience issue for me, it may not be sin for me. Now, some of you guys, I just lost you right there. You said, I, I don't know if I can handle that. Listen, it doesn't make anybody, anybody more uncomfortable than it does for me. Because I like to have everything in order. And the way I grew up, I wanted to have an You say, no, Sean, isn't, there is a right answer for every problem. It's always right. No matter what person, it's always right. It's always wrong, no matter who you are. Is that the truth? Is there always a right and wrong for every single person? Again, not on the absolutes, on the gray areas. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you guys have kids? Anybody kids? How many of you guys remember the first kid? I have five kids, so we, that's a long time ago for the first kid. But I remember the first kid, we had those baby monitors. How many of you guys have baby monitors? It's in a different room. You're listening to it, and any type of noise, you're like jumping up in the middle of the night. What could be going wrong? I heard a little noise, right? Okay. Just like anything. You're like, you're just, you just are afraid that, you know, something's going to happen. And we're just so protective when they're, when they're little. Uh, years ago, when my, my son, my firstborn, was two, about two years old, we lived out in the country, and we lived by this highway. It was a busy highway, even though it was out in the country. Uh, well, I was at work. Becca laid down to take a nap, got the, the two-year-old down to take a nap. And, and so he's, she wakes up and hears the doorbell. So she goes to the doorbell, goes to the door, opens up the door. It's our two-year-old son. Somehow during nap time, he planned an escape. And he opened up the windows, opened up the locks, opened up the windows, went outside, played outside for a while. When he was good and ready to come back in, he knew enough to hit the doorbell, and there he was. So I just went, I started installing locks, different locks, hotel locks, and all this type of stuff, little sensors on the windows and everything. Well, it wasn't very long before I saw him get in a chair down there, standing up on the chair and open. It's like, dude, this is, I'm doing everything I can to keep, your, keep you from escaping. How many of you guys know when they are little, you're doing everything you can to keep them from escaping the house, right? That's a win right there. Now, I've got teenagers. I have four teenagers. How many of you guys have teenagers? Anybody? How many of you guys know when they're teenagers, you're now doing everything you can to get them to leave the house. It's like, please leave the house. We're praying for that. We just had a prayer meeting. We're believing that you're going to leave the house. Please escape. We want the house by ourselves now, okay? And so you're praying for them to leave. And, and so just Thursday night, my kids went somewhere. Uh, I've got 19-year-olds, 16, 15, 14, 8. So my, my oldest kids, they went somewhere. I don't even know where they went. They, they went somewhere on Thursday night, somewhere in Kansas. I don't even know. And so uh, they, they were gone. Their, their curfew is like midnight. So uh, I, I didn't even stay up for them. I, I just slept right through, slept like a baby. I got up in the morning and I just peeked my head out the window. I wonder if the car's there. I wonder if they made it home. And so I look out. Yep, the car's there. At least most of them made it home. So that's a win, you know. How, how, do, I, how do I go from the baby monitor I heard a giggle, you know, how do I go from that? Like jumping and running to, and locks. 
to now I'm like, please leave. You know, how do I go from that? And like, I don't even check to see if they come home. Am I a bad parent? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Here's, here's how. What's right and wrong for a two-year-old is not the same as what's right and wrong for a 19-year-old. Just maybe that's the way it works with God. What's right and wrong for a new believer, someone coming out of certain circumstances or whatever issues, may not be the same thing that's right and wrong for a mature believer or someone who's not had those same life issues or circumstances in their life. I know that's hard for us to wrestle with. I know that's tough for us to wrestle with. It's tougher for me than what you know. But I, I want to, here's what I want to do, just to be honest with you. I want to take, I don't want to put a spin on this tonight. I want to honestly look at what Scripture says, regardless of what I would like it to say. I want to look at what Scripture really says, because I want to be faithful to that. And I think that that's what you want as well. Some people are just at a different place than you are on certain issues. And Paul knew that, even though it was wrong in this case, even though it wasn't true that it was going to affect them in a harmful way, he still said for them, if they violate that, that won't be right for them. It's not good for them to violate their conscience. And, he, and he's making the case that, listen, your conscience just doesn't change overnight, nor should it in certain areas. In fact, what God wants to do with you during certain periods of your life, when you have personal convictions about things, God wants to work on certain issues in your life during that time. And, and surprise, he may change those personal convictions. Does that mean you've compromised? Not necessarily, possibly, but not necessarily. It could be that God gave you a personal conviction on a gray issue in Scripture for a certain season of your life. And God may lead you back into certain personal convictions on gray areas of Scripture in your life. And I know we would like to have everything just cut and dry. Sometimes it depends on your background. How many of you guys have heard the term backslide before? Anybody? If you've been in church for a while, you know that. What, that, what does that mean? That simply means sliding back into an old way of living. So for some of you on these issues of freedom in Christ, which by the way, you can read, I believe it's Romans chapter 14 uh, and 1 Corinthians 10, if you want to look a little bit ahead on these issues and see what Paul's thoughts were. By the way, uh, on, on the issues of eating and drinking, by the way, and I, again, I'm not advocating one way or the other, I'm just telling you what Scripture says. On the issues of eating and drinking, Paul says it's your freedom to eat and drink, and he actually called the weaker person the one who didn't. That makes me uncomfortable, but that's what Scripture says. So I just want to throw that out there when you're looking at this and you're wrestling with Scripture. Okay? So these are real things that Paul is talking about in wrestling with these freedom issues, okay? And it depends on your background. Listen, if you grew up, if your family grew up and you dealt with demonic activity or witchcraft activity or, or the occult growing up, you probably shouldn't be watching things that are leaning that way. Somebody else, maybe it's not even that big of a deal for somebody to, to see something on, on TV, but for you, it would be a huge deal, okay? M maybe some of you grew up with an alcoholic father or grew up with, with, in, before you got saved and, and you had a problem with that. It may never even be something you even need to even wrestle with because it's just not a deal for you. And, and, and I just want us to wrestle honestly with these issues, all right? So that leads us to the third thing. What do we need to ask ourselves when, how do we discover what's right for us? Don't worry about other people. Worry about you right now. And that's that word brother. And here's where the rubber meets the road. How can I love my brother? That's really the heart of what Paul is dealing with. 
He's saying we have differences of opinions. We have these people who are free. Think about this. Paul said it was okay for believers to eat demon meat. Meat that had been through an idol sacrifice. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? But he also said, guys, let's, let's consider our brothers here. What would it look like to not just enjoy your freedom, it's just meat, but to, to love your brother? Have you guys are thankful that in the United States of America, we have individual rights and individual freedoms? Anybody thankful for that? Now, it's, that's a great thing, but it's pretty complicated. Because not only do you have individual rights and individual freedoms, but so does the person sitting next to you. And when you start to throw all that into one big pot, it gets really complicated really quick. Let me just give you one example. All right, so smoking. If somebody wants to smoke, that's their right. As an American, they can do that. But we started to wrestle with this as a society. What does that look like when you put someone who has a right to smoke into a restaurant with other people who have a right to breathe clean air? And so pretty soon your right to smoke has now infringed upon my right to breathe clean air. And so it became very complicated, and we still wrestle with these issues all throughout society. So a couple months ago, my neighbor decides to fly a drone over my house with a camera. Now, as far as I know, it's his right to fly a drone where, wherever he wants to. And so I started to think, I wonder what my rights are above my own airspace. Should I get my shotgun and shoot the drone down? It's in my airspace. I didn't, but I thought about it. But you can see how my individual rights are fine until you introduce that you also have an individual right, and you also have an individual right, and how do we make it all happen together? That's what Paul's saying here. The same is true in the body of Christ. You all have certain rights and certain freedoms in the body of Christ. But it's not just about your right. It's not just about your freedom. What does it look like when we have to put all of these people together in the same body in the same room. How do we work that out? It's complicated. It, it gets complicated. And here's really the message Paul is saying. Be careful that in your freedom, you don't lead a weaker person into bondage. You may have freedom, but be careful about your freedom. Be careful that your freedom, and you have it, doesn't lead someone else who's weaker into bondage. So was Paul saying, like he says, I'll never eat meat again if that causes my brother to stumble. Was he saying that we all need to be vegetarians? Thank God, no, he was not saying that. Praise the Lord for that. I mean, in fact, God gives Peter a vision in the book of Acts of bacon coming down from the sky. So you know it must be all right. You check it out later on your own time. But it's there. What was he saying? He, he was, he was, I believe he was exaggerating to make the point and simply implying that if you love your brother or sister, then you will love them enough to not tempt them to violate their conscience. That you will not tempt them to violate their personal convictions on those great, to disobey what the Holy Spirit's told them. Just because you feel freedom in a certain area, and we could pick any, we could pick Halloween, we could pick Easter, we could pick whatever your, your deal is. Just because you have freedom in that area, it does not give you the right now to become the evangelist for that freedom to all of your Christian brothers and sisters. 
and say, all of you now need to see my right and my freedom, and you all don't know anything, and you all need to be experiencing the same type of freedom that I believe the Holy Spirit's given me. And this is what I've seen people do over and over and over again. They feel a certain freedom in an area, and now they've become an evangelist for this freedom or for that freedom, and now they're just trying. Listen, that is not loving to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here's the question I want us to wrestle with tonight. Is it more important to be right or loving in the gray areas of Scripture? That's really what Paul was saying. Guys, if we get enough people in, this room, in a room together, we're going to have differences of opinion, and you will not be able to make a clear-cut, shut case in Scripture for every issue you encounter that there's a controversy or there wouldn't be a controversy about it. So what are you going to do? Try to be right or loving? Which is more important? And Paul's making the case. No, if you love your brother, you will not tempt them to violate their convictions, and you will not be tempted to try to convert them to your personal convictions. If you say you love your brother, let God sort that out. So what does that look like? Well, some of you in here, you may feel a freedom to have, well, I feel like a freedom to have a glass of wine with my meal. That's the freedom I feel like I have. Well, don't do that with the brother who does not share that conviction. Don't go posting that out on Facebook, like, look at my freedom. That's not loving. That's not loving when you know that there are other brothers and sisters who would say, I don't. You, you know that there are other people who, who have struggled with certain things. And they're like, is this making sense to anybody? I know it. I'm, I've probably stepped on every single toe in the building. I understand. That's my job tonight. I, I didn't volunteer for it. I was just picked. Um, does that make sense? I mean, that's what Paul's saying here. Maybe uh, you, you feel, a, a free, you say, I don't have any problems with Halloween. What are you talking about? How's that even an issue? You know, I'll dress up my kids and send them out and get free candy and take my cut of it. You know, I, I don't have any issues with Halloween. All right, that's great. Well, don't make a blog post or something and write about how every other Christian parent who doesn't share your opinion is now wrong and needs to get on the train with you. That's not loving. That's not loving. We, we got issues of like some people might, might be all about homeschooling in this room. Some people might be all about public school. That's great. You have your personal convictions. Our family has our personal convictions. Well, I'm not, my job is not to be the evangelist to everybody else and try to convert them to my way. I'm going to pray and let God sort that out because it's not loving. That's what Paul is saying here. So basically, we could boil it down to this. This is what I believe Paul is saying about these controversial issues. Take this approach. When I'm with you, if you're, if you're a vegetarian and you've got a personal conviction about that and the Holy Spirit convicts you somehow about that, when I'm with you, I'm a vegetarian. When I'm, with, I'm, when I'm with you, you know what? If you don't watch that certain type of movie, I'm not going, I don't watch that type of movie. When I'm with you, if you've got a personal conviction about music that's not Christian, then when I'm driving around with you, I'm not going to have that on the radio. Because why? Because I love you more than I love my freedom. I care more about you than I care about my right. 
Does that mean, you can look on, on your own in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, don't let someone else's personal conviction infringe on your liberty. But at the same time, don't let your liberty all of a sudden put this condemnation or pressure or uh, flaunting your freedom in front of someone else. That's what Paul brings the balance to it. Is it more important to be right or to be loving? And listen, there are people in this room right now that are struggling with different issues that to them it's very controversial, and to you, you may be saying, oh, I'm not struggling with that. Listen, do not make it hard for those who are struggling with certain issues to walk in victory in that area of their life. Don't make it hard for them. Lift them up. Don't put things in their way as a stumbling block. You may enjoy a certain freedom, and, and you're okay. The Holy Spirit, is, you're okay with that, and you've worked that out with God. And, and, and how do you know? Some, some of you guys, listen, I'm just coming in for close here. Some of you guys, on the other hand, may be abusing a so-called freedom. That you've looked around and you've saw, well, I read some sort of a blog post or some Twitter feed that said that this was okay or that was okay or as Christians we need to believe this. And you just kind of bought it hook, line, and, line and sinker and you never allowed the Holy Spirit to inform that. And if you never allowed the Holy Spirit to inform that, you may find yourself now looking at, how, how do you know if that freedom that you are having right now, how do you know if you're on the right track with that freedom? Let me give you a way for you to know if you're on the right track with that freedom. Here it is. If your freedom, quote unquote, in Christ has now brought you under bondage in some area, then you need a new freedom. If your freedom now has become something that's looking more like taking the place or it's become your master in some sort of way, or if you find that you can't not participate in this freedom, then you need, a new, you need to be free from your freedom. And so we've got people on all sides of it. Some of you guys tonight, you're wrestling with, I cannot believe Sean didn't say everything was black and white. Others of you are saying, I can't believe Sean said something was black and white. And some people are wrestling with everything in between. That's good because that's what Paul did. Paul, did, Paul lays it out right here. And he says, guys, sometimes there are some, we dealt with the absolutes, but sometimes there's some other issues we've got to learn how to deal with. And so I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to have some prayer teams come down. We actually have some prayer teams in the building and uh, have the worship team. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to wrap this up in, in prayer? I want, to, I want to wrap this up because I know that a message like this, you, you may be struggling with, with one thing or the other. Some of you guys, there, there may be two different types of people here. One, You've been wrestling with a, an issue that kind of has a hold of you, and you need to repent. Maybe your conscience has been seared, and maybe you have lost hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit just to default to do whatever you wanted to. And you need to repent. You need somebody to stand with you tonight, to pray with you tonight, to agree for freedom. How many of you guys believe that there is freedom in Christ, and there's freedom even from what we so-call freedom sometimes? There's freedom, ultimate freedom in Christ. And there's others of you guys who, who may be um, looking for freedom in a certain area that, that you just, may, it may be totally unrelated. It may be not a, an iffy issue. It just may, you know, you need freedom. Let me read some last scriptures to you and then I'm going to allow the worship team to, to do their thing here. It's the first three scriptures we looked at. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, 
He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. It's not so important how much you know or how much you think you're right on. What's more important, what he's saying is what's more important is that you're known by God. And so tonight as we close up, I want you to re-ask that question before God. Say, God, I, I think I know a lot of stuff about where I stand on different issues. What's more important than that is that you allow God to come in and inform that. You allow the Holy Spirit right now. And, and re-invite the Holy Spirit to come in and breathe through your conscience right now and just say, God, I, I, don't want, I, I want to surrender to whatever you have for me. I'm not worried about other people. What do you have for me? And rest in that. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you. Maybe you need prayer for healing. Maybe you need prayer for salvation. Maybe you need have prayer for a loved one or whatever it may be. Maybe you need prayer for freedom. There's something very powerful when believers connect together in prayer, and we stand with one another. When, when two or more agree, it's a touch point of faith. And you may need that tonight. You say, well, I don't know. What will people think of me? Well, listen, if you can't get over that in this moment tonight, you won't get over it anywhere. This is the perfect environment. You're surrounded by people who love you, who want to support you, who want to stand with you, who want to see you win. And so I'm going to pray and then invite the the band to to, uh, lead us in worship and then also to invite you to come down if you need prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the power of your presence and for your active presence in our life. Lord, I'm actually thankful, as I've, I've preached this three times now, I'm actually thankful that you haven't answered every single question I might have written down like it's a list of rules or something that that I get to have real-time interaction with you and I get to hear your voice in real time. Lord, I thank you that I can, I can be led. And Lord, I pray that we would all invite you right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and not just to tell you, God, how much we know, but Lord, we want to be known by you. Search us every part. Holy Spirit, come and breathe through us once again. And Lord, we just yield our life. We open up our hands. We may have a certain way we think, but Lord, we open up our hand right now and we say, Lord, search our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down. To this. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.